It's the last of our series, and they came to Elam. And they came to Elam. I remember when, when we first came to Elam, our family, and we, had, and, uh, we, we loved it here. We, we really found our home and found our place here. And a few years later, you know, we've been there for um, a bit longer, and um, the men's group, the men's group had this, um, they, they do this kind of weird stuff like table tennis, but way back then, they decided to go for a walk up the pinnacles, up the pinnacles in the Coromandel. We've got a picture of the pinnacles. There it is. Crazy. I didn't know it looked like that. Uh, and, um, and so my wife, she, and I was going to go, to be honest. I was going to say, hey, you know, it's the, it's the long weekend. Why would I want, you know, I want to stay home for the long week. She put us like, go, you'll have fun. Connect with some of the older guys. It'll be awesome. So I went along anyway, and I began the walk up that little hill. It, was, it takes about four hours, four hours just to get to this hut. It's the dock hut just before the summit. There's another, there's the dock hut. <laughs> Four hours just to get to that, and then you've, there's this last climb. And let me tell you something. I'd, if people know me, I do like talking. I do like catching up with people and saying things. I didn't speak once walking up that hill. It's like, has, has anybody ever been up the Hakarimatas, the, the, the huts there in, in Ngarawahia? It's like that, but for four hours, straight up. Four hours, and um, honestly, they, apparently the horses used to, um, used to take this track. And I was thinking, what, what am I, a horse? Um, but anyway, so uh, I get to this place here. We have lunch, and we rest in time for the final run up to the top. And then there's these tracks, these like, it's, it's the hucks again, but on steroids, all the way to the top. And I, get, and I start walking with the guys, and, I, and then as I get to the stairs, I just take one step, and then bang, my leg just cramps up so badly and goes, oh my gosh. I say, oh, I can do one leg. And I take a second step. I'm like, bang, my other legs are now both legs. I'm in pain. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I had to settle down at the dock hut while the rest of the guys carried on. And to make it even, what made it so bad is that I was the youngest in the group. Everybody was much older than myself, and, um, and some of them were like, uh, and they go, it's okay, you stay here, young fella, we'll keep going. And I was there, I was like, I was in pains, uh, and I chose to settle because it got too tough. I chose to settle because it got too tough. See, in your life right now, you have one of two options. We can choose to go after more, or we can choose to settle. See, the problem in our lives, we often, we often settle rather than pursuing the big, expansive things that God has for our life. God wants to use you. God wants to, well, has more for your life because it's hard work to be a mountain climber. Is there any real mountain climbers in here? That was hard work, but it's hard work to be a mountain climber. It's hard work to pursue your dreams. It's easy. It's easier just to settle. It's easier just to give up. But you'll never reach your mountaintop if you quit. So we can do that in our lives, can't we, with our careers? We can do that in our lives with our dreams or with our walk with God. And, and it's so much easier for me just to settle here. It's a, that's, it's a tough road ahead. I'll just, I'll just stay here. But you are made for much more than that. But in, So instead of settling, why don't we begin to go after more that God has for us? Don't just settle for an average marriage, but pursue the best marriage ever. Don't just... Pursue just an average uh, family, but pursue to be the best dad, the best husband, the best wife, the, the, um, the, the best mom ever. Pursue that. Don't settle for average. Don't settle for being an average team member at your workplace. 
Don't just settle there, but, but, but begin to pursue to be the best that you can in your workplace, wherever you are. Because here's the thing. Israel settled in Egypt. There was a great famine in the land, and Joseph was uh, one of uh, Jacob's sons, were, was, was prime minister, and, and he saves his family, brings them to Egypt, and they get comfortable there, and they settle there. The 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, they settle there. And eventually, the children of Israel, they are enslaved by the Egyptians for nearly 400 years. And then God rescues them. Be careful of what you settle for because it can hold you captive. Be careful of what you settle for because it can hold you captive. Exodus 15 verse 27. This has been our verse um, for this whole series. But after God rescues the children of Israel from slavery from Egypt, He delivers them through the Red Sea. And we come to Exodus 15, 27. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Elam was the first true oasis that the children of Israel encountered after leaving Egypt, after coming through the Red Sea and coming through the desert. It was the first true oasis. Elam was a place of rest. Elam was a place of breakthrough. It was a place of preparation because God did not intend for the children of Israel to settle there. But he was preparing them for their mountaintop encounter with them on Mount Sinai, where God will give them the Ten Commandments. He was preparing them. He didn't expect them to settle there, but he was preparing them. So in the series, we've turned the name Elam into an acronym. And uh, we looked the first, the first week, we looked at the letter E. E and E stands for? Encounter. There you go. Encounter. Because, you know, God wants you to encounter him. He wants you to encounter his Holy Spirit, that God has so much for you, not just to, to live on yesterday's anointing, but God wants to give you fresh anointing today. In this second week, we looked at our, our sense for love. There you go. For love, that God loves you. That when we love God, we begin to love people more. And in fact, if, in order to love God, we've got to love people more. We can't love God without loving people. And we can't love people without loving God more. And then I stands for intentionality, intentionality, right? And it's about, you know, for our faith, it's not just having good intentions. So many good intentions without actions are meaningless. It's meaningless. But when you have actions to your intentions, it becomes intentionality. It becomes intentional. Like when I ate the last cookie, I was intentional about it when I did it. If I had good intentions about it and I don't do it, then I wasn't intentional. Intentionality. Hey, we're going to have intentionality about our faith. And then last week we looked at M, and M stands for? Make more disciples. Make disciples. Oh, these guys are on fire here. And so today we're looking at the last letter in Elam. That's the letter. Okay. <laughs> okay, we've done all the letters. We ran out. Put all, you know, we were saying, you know, I'm going to do, the, do, do Elam for our first series. Yeah, it's going to be great. You know, there's four weeks. And then Portal goes, there's five weeks in October. <laughs> five weeks? Because don't worry, I've got this. I've got this. And so today, I, I thought today we're going to be looking at the name Elam. Where did Elam come from? I mean, what does it even mean? And, and, and why is it the name of our movement? Why is it the name of our church? I mean, why should we even care, right? Why do we even care? But here's the thing. We all love a good origin story. So today is the Elam origin story. 
Okay, but so let's take a look at this passage in the broader context of the chapter. So let's go back to verse 22 within Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. Right, so they've, God delivers them out of a slavery from Egypt. They go through the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness in Shur. In Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Okay, so God delivers them through the Red Sea, and they were in the wilderness for three days. Now, in the Bible, in the Bible, the sea and the wilderness represents chaos. It represents chaos. That's what it represents. It represents the realm of the dead. It represents decreation. Because here's the thing, you know, we say that God created something out of nothing, but in Hebrew, there's, there's no word for nothing. What they have is decreation. So when we go to Genesis chapter 1, what does God create out of? He creates out of the water, out of the decreation, out of the sea. He creates out of chaos. God creates something. Then we get to chapter 2. God creates it's a second, second creation story. But this time he creates out of, the, out of the desert, the desolate land. And so the desert and the sea both mean, represent chaos. It represents the realm of the dead. It represents, um, it represents decreation. But here's the thing, that in the chaos... God is still in control. God is still in control. Verse 23, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against God saying, what shall we drink? And he cried and, they, and he cried to Yahweh. And Yahweh showed him a log and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. Now, if you're a regular Bible reader, you're familiar with this passage because it sticks out. Because here we go, this is where they complain. God just rescued them from the Red Sea. Now they're complaining. Oh my gosh, it sticks out to us, right? And then we get to verse 27, and it goes, Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they camped there by the water. Now for most people, most people don't even take notice of this verse. In fact, most people don't even know this verse exists in the Bible, because nothing happens there. The reason why you know about this is because we've been speaking about it for a whole month, right? But if, if I hadn't been speaking about it for a whole month, most of us would even take notice of this passage in the Bible because nothing happens there. So why is it even in the Bible? What does it even mean? What, what's going on here? But for an ancient reader, this passage is loaded with symbolism. It's loaded with symbolism because remember, where did they come from? They came from the Red Sea and the desert. They came, from, they came out of the chaos, and now they're here in Elam. So God delivers them from the realm of the dead. He, he, he delivers them from the chaos, the chaotic threats of the desert, and he brings them to a well-watered garden, the garden of Elam, the garden of Elam, right? Why does God bring them to Elam? You know, he brings them to Elam because God wants to remind the people something. He wants to remind the people what, what his desires truly were and what his, his desires truly were from the beginning. From the beginning of creation, he's reminding the people that God wanted to dwell with humanity and humanity with him. That God wanted you to be part of his family. And this is why he brings them to Elam. He brings them there to remind them. Because right in the beginning, if, you, if you're familiar with the Bible and you, and you read Genesis, what do we find that, that God, when he creates Adam and Eve, when he creates Adam, he places Adam where? In a well-watered garden. The garden of Eden. Places him in a well-watered garden, garden of Eden. And so Eden was, was God's dwelling place. Eden was God, God's abode. 
This is the, uh, in fact, the temple in Israel was based on Eden. The temple, the temple where God's presence was meant to be was a mini version of Eden because uh, Eden represented God's abode where God dwelled and God wanted humanity to dwell with him until humanity ruins, ruins this and, and they rebel against God. And instead of, instead of, um, Trusting on God's will for our lives, they begin to trust on their own and they begin to settle for their own desires. And the rest of the Bible is really about God trying to restore, bring back, bring everyone back to his original desire. What's God's original desire? God's original desire is you. That you, that there is no plan B. You are always, you are always God's plan A. God wants to dwell with you. And he wants you to dwell with him. And so this is what Exodus chapter 15 verse 27 is telegraphs in this one verse. It telegraphs that God wants you back with him. And I know what you're thinking. And some of you are thinking, really? You get that from, from verse 27? You get, you get all that? In, well, I mean, I, I don't get that. Isn't that aren't you, aren't you reaching with this passage? What do you mean by that? So let's, let's take a look. Verse 27. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they camped there by the water. So can we see that in this passage? That God wants you to dwell with them and he with you, right? And, and like, what does this mean? Why is this even here? Now, for, for an ancient reader, they would notice lots of things in this one passage. And, and we miss it because, you know, we're 2,000, well, we're 4,000 years removed from when this, this was written. The first thing the, the, an ancient reader would notice is the similarities between the name Elam and the Garden of Eden, because they're both both a well-watered garden, both well-watered garden. So straight away, there's similarities. There's 12, 12 springs, seventy palm trees, a well-watered garden. Oh, this has got parallels with the Garden of Eden. Even the name Elam is a play on, a play on words, because in Hebrew, the word that we translate for the word God in Hebrew is Elohim. That's the word Elohim. Now, the shortened version of Elohim is the word Elim. Elim is the shortened word of, so I'm doing a bit of Hebrew here. I hope that's okay. So it's from, the shortened word of Elohim is Elim. Just like the shortened um, name for, for Anthony is Ants here in New Zealand. Maybe in, somewhere else is Tony. But this is the shortened word of Elohim. It's, it's Elim. Now, here's the thing. When you're reading Elim and Elim, it's spelt exactly the same in Hebrew. Spelt exactly the same in Hebrew. Say, so have a look at that. There it is. There's uh, Elam and Elim. Elam and Elim. It's spelt exactly the same, except for there's a Yod before the last letter. So, so remember, Hebrews read the other way. So the last letter, there's a Yod there, right? That's the only difference. But if you're an ancient reader, you're reading this, you're seeing God. You're seeing the Garden of Eden. You're reading as God brings them to his abode. God rescues them out of the chaos and he brings them to his abode where he dwells, where he rests. Sounds like, this, sounds like Genesis. This is a replay of the, uh, this, this one verse is a replay of creation. Out of decreation, he brings them to a wild water garden, to God's abode. This is what they're seeing. This is what they're reading when they're looking at this. This is God's abode. But another thing an ancient reader would notice is that they, the ancient reader being an Israelite, being God's chosen people, they would see themselves in this passage. They go, oh, yes, there we are with the 12 springs. We're the 12 sons of Jacob. 
We're the 12 sons of Israel. We're the children of Israel. There we are. Yeah, yes, God, God has a plan for us. We're the God's chosen people. In fact, they'll go to Mount Sinai, and then this is what God will say of them in Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. He, he, says, he says to his chosen people, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Your kingdom of priests, a holy nation. What's the, what, what's the purpose of a priest? The purpose of a priest is to represent God to the people and the people to God. So Israel's vocation was to represent God to the nations and the nations to God. This was their vocation. But as we read throughout the Bible, they failed this vocation time and time again. But this is what God had called them to do, to be, to be his representatives. And then as, the, as, the, as, the, as they're reading this passage, they go, they'll go, they'll get, oh, 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 that's right. The 70. The 70. Now, for an ancient reader, the 70 represents the nations. The nations. And, and, and they go, oh, yes, God has not forgotten the nations. If you're familiar, I'll encourage you to go back. Genesis chapter 10. If you read chapter, Genesis chapter 10 is, is a list of nations, table of nations, um, descendants of Noah and his children. And there's a list of 70 of them. It's right there. That's chapter 10. Then we get to chapter 11. And if you're familiar with your scripture, I encourage you to go back and read it. What we find in chapter 11 is that humanity rebels against God again. It wasn't enough that they rebelled at the garden. Now they rebel against God again. They reject Him again. They pretty much, when, Genesis chapter 11 is pretty much humanity giving God the middle finger. That's, that's how serious it is. And they, they, we, we don't want you. We don't want you. Yeah, we want to settle on our own desires. That's what I want. I want my own desires, not yours. And so where humanity turns their back on God for a second time, where humanity gives up on God, God doesn't give up on humanity. They reject God, but God doesn't reject humanity. Because what does he do in the following, when we go to Genesis chapter 12? Genesis chapter 12 is where God begins to enact a plan of redemption. And he calls a man by the name of Abraham, and he says, through your family, Abraham, through your family, Abraham, the nations will be blessed. Through your family, there's one who will come, the seed of the woman, who will crush the head of the seed of the snake. And through that will come the redemption of the nations. So humanity may give, give up on God, but God never gives up on humanity. You may give up on God, but God never gives up on you. He never does, and He never will. So what is Elam a picture of? Elam is a picture of 12 represents Israel. 70 represents the nation. Elam, Elim represents God's abode, the wild wooden garden, God's dwelling place. It represents Babylon or Tower of Babel being, uh, being reversed and restored. Through the promise of Abraham's seed, Jesus, that God was, was restoring the nations back to him. That God's family comes from all tribes and from all nations. That's what, where God's family comes from. God's family comes from all tribes and all nations. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, there's, there's, a, there's a story you might miss it. Luke chapter 9, I haven't got it here. Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out the 12. Why does he have 12 disciples? Because he's reenacting, he's, he's the one who was, who was coming. He is the true um, Israelite that will represent God to the nations and the nations to him. He's the one that will come. And he sends out the 12 disciples. Then when we get to chapter 10, he sends out the 70. 
disciples. You've got the 12 in the city, and this is, God. this is Jesus bringing Elam back into reality. And this is why the apostle Peter, when he's writing to this mixed group of non-Jews and Jews, that's the church. That's the church. Non-Jews and Jews, the Gentiles, the nations, and the Jews, God's chosen people. That's the church. He writes to them. And the apostle Peter, this is what he says, and he begins to apply to, to this group called the church, and he begins to, to apply the chosen nation language to the church. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, this is what he says. Speaking to the church, he says, You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Sorry, I've been screaming in the other room, so I had to come over here. And This is what happens when you um, fall short of the glory of God. <laughs> Without giving weight. Oh, no, sorry. I haven't, I haven't seen the end of the game. I walked out because I, I, Jesus was more important. I don't know about the rest of the people that stayed in that room. I'm not sure about that. But anyway, First Peter, here we go. 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. This is, this is who you are. This is who you are. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into this wonderful light. This is who you are. You are to represent God in your workplaces. You are to rep represent God in your places of education. You are to represent God in your communities. This is who you are. This is who you are, God's chosen people. That's why they wind up at Elam. Because God was calling them home. To dwell with them and he with them. This one verse, Exodus chapter 15, 27, telegraphs the idea that what God really wanted and what God still wants is for the nation's home with him. This is the original Edenic idea. The story of the Bible is the outworking of this promise fulfilled by the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. He is the one, the promised one, who brings us all together. So what does this mean for us? It means that if you've ever turned your back on God, if you've ever rebelled against him, if you've ever given up on him, if you've ever walked away from him, he never gives up on you. He never does. And he never will. He's a small, still voice. When you're in the, in the middle of a club, and I remember when I walked away from God, there was a time where I walked away from God. And I, was, I was remember we, we just finished playing an American football game and I was at the, the viaduct in Auckland. I was out celebrating with, with the boys and this pack, before they, they got the smoking rule out, so the whole place is full of smoke, right? And I remember sitting there, everyone's having a good time, and everyone's drinking, and, but I just started hearing this still, small voice. And I just realized, this isn't real. This is fake. And in that, in that club, I started to long to be in the house of God, because that was reality. That's more real than anything that was there. God never gives up in you. You might be filled in a room with lots of smoke, but there's something holier that's inside of you. The Holy Ghost. More holier than any holy smoke. Be careful what you settle for because it can hold you captive. That's why Elam is such a fitting name for a movement. For a church whose aim is to bring a message of hope, of refreshing, renewal, and healing, and say, Welcome home. 
through the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. It also means don't settle for less. Don't settle for despair. Don't settle for brokenness. Don't say, well, this is my lot in life. This is, this is as far as I can go. My best years are behind me. Don't ever settle because the reality is, is that God has more for us. God has more for you. Be careful what you settle for because it can hold you captive. Matthew 14. I'm just going to end in this passage here. Jesus tells us, I haven't got the verse up here, but Jesus tells his, his disciples to go across the waters. So in the obedience to Jesus, they go across the waters. As they're crossing the waters, they find themselves in the middle of a storm. Now, why do they find themselves in the middle of a storm? Because they were obedient to Jesus. They were in the storm because Jesus told them to go that way and they ended up in a storm. Sometimes the storm is exactly where God wants you to be. Sometimes we're like, but I thought, God, I've been following you. I'm one of your disciples. And he goes, go into the storm. Into the storm? Suddenly they're freaked out. They're in the middle of a storm. They're freaking out, not because of this, they're in a storm, because they're seeing Jesus walking through the chaotic waters. There may be chaos breaking up all around you, but Jesus walks through the chaos. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. In the chaos, I'm with you. And Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come. And so Peter, so Jesus says, come, come. So Jesus, so Peter steps out of the boat, right? Can you imagine what the other disciples are saying? They're like, well, Peter, what are you doing? That could be a ghost we're looking at. You're gonna st- he may be trying to lure you to your death. But he goes, no, that's Jesus. I'm stepping out. And he, st- and he steps out of the boat onto water. Takes another step and he starts to walk on water to Jesus. Then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he realizes where he's at. He's in the middle of a storm. I don't know, maybe the disciples saying, Oh, Peter, check out that wave. It's coming away. And he and all of a sudden, instead of focusing on Jesus, he focuses on the storm. And he begins to sink. And I love what the scripture says. I encourage you to read Matthew 14. He says, He cries out to Jesus. And, Jesus, and the, the scripture doesn't tell us that it goes, oh, well, Jesus waits till he gets down to his, his neck. It says, immediately, Jesus saves him. That's what it says, immediately, he saves him. When you find yourself in the middle of the storm, there's someone there who knows the way out. Maybe instead of trying to follow you, your fears, follow Jesus. <coughs> Peter finds himself in the middle of the storm because he was obedient just because you're faithful to God doesn't mean your life is storm-free. Right? I thought I'd become a Christian. Everything's going to be smooth sailing. He's in a storm because Jesus told him to be there. See, Peter doesn't just settle on staying in the boat. He steps out and he, and he begins to sink, even though he steps out. See, I love this. Don't settle on the fact that you, you have failed. And so you're not going to step out anymore. Don't settle on the fact that you've lost everything. So I'm not going to try anymore. Don't settle on the fact that everyone's given up on you. So you don't trust people anymore. Because God has not given up on you. And He never will. Cry out to Jesus in your storm. You are not alone.
you know what? Peter refused to be captive by the thought of the other disciples on the boat. You know, I reckon he would have said, you know, I would rather be a wet feet walker than a dry boat talker anyway. I'd rather be a wet feet walker than a dry boat talker anyway. I can either sit in the boat and complain about the storm or can step out into the chaos with Jesus's. My feet might get wet, but I've got Jesus with me. That's all I need. That's all I need. You're either going to complain about the storm or you're going to walk it out. Many of us are sitting in the boat waiting for God to rescue us. Waiting for God to come and save us out of the storm. But only one gets out. Only Peter steps out in the chaos. Why does Peter fail? Because he starts focusing on the storm. He starts focusing on his issues rather than focusing on the one who can calm the storm. Where is your focus, on a storm or on the one who can calm the storm? Be careful what you settle for because it can hold you captive. I'd rather be a wet feet walker than a dry boat talker any day. You know, I started with that story of the pinnacles. Two years later, we did it again. And I was determined. I was determined not to give up. I was determined not to settle at that hut. So we get, and this time I take the youth group with me. I take my sons and I get, and I give them all my stuff to carry up there. I'm smart. You carry my water, you carry my food, you carry my bag. I'm smart. We get to the dog hut and I'm like, I'm, this time I'm smart. I got my corned beef sandwiches with bananas inside of it. Give me some electrolytes or something. I'm ready for this. I'm ready for this. Okay, let's do this. Let's do this. So we get, so we get in the hut. Then we get to the, to the stairs. Show the stairs. This, this is what the this stairs. Get down got this. Everyone's going. I was going, I've got this. I've got this. The boys are really rushed up there. Show-offs. <sighs> i got this. And I take the first step. Bang! My leg goes. Crap! Let's get... Ah, no, no, I've got this. Take the second step. Bang! Ah! Cramped up again. I was in pain. It was happening all over again. I turned around, I looked at the hut. I said, you ain't getting me this time. I don't care if I have to crawl up this mountain, I'm going to crawl. So I begin to crawl up the stairs. I'm on my knees, I figured. And I'm crawling up the stairs like this. I'm doing this. I'm do, doing this like bear crawls up the stairs. I'm getting pain after pain. And as I'm getting up and up the level, and then that next level, I get there. And as I get to the final, I see these shoes standing there. Shoot, and I look up. And it's Peter McGregor standing there. He's looking at me. He goes, Answer, you okay? That's what he says. And because I'm, I'm, I'm some, I've got pride, God's been working on pride in me, I stand up. I say, I'm all good. And just like that, I was back. And I've been to the top and I've seen what's on the other side. Do you know what's on the other side? Well, you're just going to have to walk up the pinnacles and have a look. I'm not going to give that away. Don't quit when you feel like quitting, when it's too painful, too painful to go on. So much easier to settle. Don't give up. God never gives up on you. 
careful what you settle for because it can hold you captive. But don't get me wrong, it's okay to settle. It's okay to settle. But just don't settle for brokenness. Just don't settle for rejection. Just don't settle for hopelessness. Don't settle for less. But settle in God's rest where there are 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Settle in God's faithfulness because He never gives up on you. Settle in Jesus, the author and perfecter of your story. Come on, let us pray.